morning. My name is Catherine, and I'm on the leadership team here at Renew, and I'm going to forego the use of the mic. Then I'm going to pray for us and then read our scripture. Spirit of God, we ask that your power be poured out on each one of us and on our community, that we may be attentive to what we find in scripture, receptive to the teaching of Pastor Dave, and open to the ways that you move among us and continually growing in us understanding that is grounded in truth so that we might be transformed and renewed. In this way, make us a people who show and share your grace with all who we interact with. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our scripture passage this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 18, verses 20 through 33. Then the Lord said, The cries of injustice from Sodom and Gomorrah are countless, and their sin is very serious. I will go down now to examine the cries of injustice that have reached me. Have they really all done this? If not, I want to know. The men turned away and walked toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing in front of the Lord. Abraham approached and said, Will you really sweep away the innocent with the guilty? What if there are fifty innocent people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not save the place for the sake of 50 innocent people in it? It's not like you to do this, killing the innocent with the guilty as if there were no difference. It's not like you. Will the judge of all the earth not act justly? The Lord said, if I find 50 innocent people in the city of Sodom, I will save it because of them. Abraham responded, since I've already decided to speak with my Lord, even though I'm just soil and ash, What if there are five fewer innocent people than fifty? Will you destroy the whole city over just five? The Lord said, if I find forty-five there, I won't destroy it. Once again, Abraham spoke. What if forty are there? The Lord said, for the sake of forty, I will do nothing. He said, do not be angry with me, my Lord, but let me speak. What if thirty are there? The Lord said, I won't do it if I find thirty there. Abraham said, Since I have already decided to speak with my Lord, what if twenty are there? The Lord said, I won't do it for the sake of twenty. Abraham said, Don't be angry with me, my Lord, but let me speak just once more. What if there are ten? And the Lord said, I will not destroy it because of those ten. When the Lord finished speaking with Abraham, he left, but Abraham stayed there in that place. May God's word shape us and form us. Thank you, Catherine. Uh, Well, we've changed the seating today, so there's a lot more space up here. Uh, So I'm able to dance and move around more. Um, I feel like I should take a panoramic camera and just go like this. So we are shifting gears. We uh, were in Advent and, and then Epiphany after that. And so we took a break from our Genesis series. And if you remember, we left off on, uh, at Genesis 17, and now we're in Genesis 18. Um, so we're going to pick back up in the Genesis series, and I'm excited about it. Um, and this story, this narrative in Genesis chapter 18, um, comes right before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you grew up in the church or you've been around church people, Christians, uh, oftentimes, traditionally... Um, or in some circles, um, the sin, you talk about the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. What was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah that God should destroy these two cities? 
Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom is referred to by the prophets, um, also in the New Testament. Woe to you, right? You're like Sodom and Gomorrah. What is the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? What does the text say? The cries of injustice from Sodom and Gomorrah are countless. And their sin is very serious. I will go down now to examine the cries of injustice that have reached me. Have they really done all this? If not, I want to know. The cries of injustice. And this kind of echoes, right? God saying, I hear the cries. In Exodus, I hear the cries of my people in Egypt being oppressed. I hear the cries of my people. Their cries have reached my ears. So I'm going to go and I'm going to save them because I'm their God. And I've heard them. I recognize this. In Genesis, you hear the blood of Abel, right? Cain killed his his brother Abel. And the blood is crying out. The blood-soaked soil is crying out to God. And he says, I hear Abel, the blood of Abel, crying out to me. I talked about uh, the people, uh, the Hebrews in Egypt. And then also, all throughout the Old Testament, there's the cry of the foreigner, the cry of the widow, the orphan. Right? Um, just two chapters before this, the cry of Hagar. Right? The slave woman who bore Ishmael, crying out. And we see uh, in, that, in that passage, God, God is the God who hears. God is the God who sees. He hears the cry of Hagar. He hears the cry of the baby and says, I, I acknowledge you. I bless you. I want to give to you. So I'm going to pause right there and ask a deep question. Have you ever tried to hold a squirrel? Have you ever tried to feed a squirrel and hold a squirrel? And, you know, me, I would, you know, growing up, there's several times I tried to befriend squirrels. And it never, ever worked. I don't know if they have some sort of sixth sense. It's a part of the, uh, the fall that animals are afraid of people or something. So their squirrels are afraid of me. They're skittish. But you see in the parks, these people who are feeding squirrels from their hand and the squirrels are climbing up their shoulder and their arm and as a kid I'd be like I want to feed this squirrel too I want to hold a squirrel so what do you do how do you befriend a squirrel you feed it right peanuts or whatever squirrels eat and you put the food maybe a distance from yourself and you make a little trail right and you watch the squirrel pick up up and you're like as still as possible as still as possible you don't want to scare the squirrel away but without fail I would fail right epic fail the squirrel would get the last nut look up at me and take off (laughs) right so the squirrel and I see um, in this story an example of trust building, right? Of Abraham taking steps closer and closer to God, uh, closer and closer in openness and kind of getting closer to the desires of his heart. 
closer to what he's really desiring and wanting from God. Right? So you see this interchange, almost like if you're at a market and you're bartering with a merchant. We don't have a barter culture. I can't go into Macy's and say, uh, how about $15 right, for those Nikes? But in other cultures, you may have gone to a market and been like, hey, can you take it down to five? Can you take it down to two? Can you take it down to one? And you would barter. And in this interaction, which we can see as kind of a prayer, right? Someone is speaking with God. Abraham is speaking with God and having a prayer um, dialogue with God. And you see that he's like, man, God, if there's even 50 people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you save it? 50 righteous people. And then the pattern is it goes 50 and it goes down by 5 until 40. And then it goes down by 10 to 30 and 20 to 10 and 10. So 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, and 10. And each time, almost like a, a refrain in a song, God repeats what he said and says, yes, even 45. Yes, even 30. Yes, even 20. Yes, even 10. And in our prayer lives, right, in our faith walk with God, in Abraham's approach, he's basically making intercession on behalf of these cities on behalf of people, quite possibly people he knows that live in these cities. His, his nephew Lot, right, is living in Sodom. And maybe he's thinking about Lot, right? If, if you're going to destroy this city, my nephew and his family is going to die, right? So maybe that's behind the motivation behind his request. If only 10 right, are here, will you save the city? If only five worship, it doesn't go down to five, it only goes down to 10. But you see like a squirrel, right, approaching closer and closer. Abraham in his intercession and prayer is approaching closer and closer to the throne of God, to God himself and saying, what about this? What about this? What about this? And he's, he's, he's kind of really modest and humble about it, like, almost like a servant approaching a king. Right? You bow at each time, and you approach closer and closer. Is it okay for me to closer? Is it okay for me to ask this one more thing? Is it okay for me to ask a little bit more? And, and for me, this really resonates for me and my relationship with God and, and my faith life. Sometimes... I can't help it, but I think God is just a stern father. That's just my image, right? And I think, oh, if I have something wrong in my life, or I've been sinning a lot, or I just haven't been praying a lot, then I need to, like, tone it down when I pray to God, right? God, thank you for this day. Help all the people out there. It's all, like, giving prayers, like, feed the poor, love this person, this person, this person, and yeah, 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 right? Because I don't feel that I'm worthy or I don't feel that God has care or consideration for my like simple, small request for a little person such as me to come before God and they'd be like, 
this is my heart. And I know maybe you may feel this way. But I'm asking you this, God. Are you with me, church? Amen. Amen. But what do we see about the character of God? If you could just hit the first slide description. What do we see about the character of God? Is that God hears the cries of injustice from Sodom, right? These are nameless people, right? Maybe it's a metaphor, just injustice is crying from. But I think it's the cries of people that are saying, we're being treated unjustly. And the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah actually is that it was very rich. Those two cities were very rich and prosperous. They were settled. They were in a fertile valley. And um, they regularly, systemically denied foreigners and aliens into their walls and to share their resources. And... um, Let's see, in the kind of classical Jewish literature, so the ancient Jewish literature, where rabbis are kind of interpreting um, the scriptures, a lot of the things that they're saying is that the sin of Sodom, um, let's see, the phrase that they use is midat Sodom, which can be translated as the way the people of Sodom thought, their way of life, their mentality. And this mentality was known to be, have a lack of charity and hospitality towards others, ignoring the needs of the poor. So hospitality um, is something that was really important um, in the Middle East in this time. Like that's how a stranger, a stranger kind of wandering the land would be protected and taken care of um, based on the hospitality of people um, and it was people's kind of duty of faith uh, to take in a stranger into their home and take care of them and to protect them, right? So you see in the chapter before this, when the two angels, the three angels visit Abraham and Sarah and tell them, oh, you're going to have a son, right? Abraham is said to have, there's this, he's the model, right, of hospitality. He says, go get them bread, go get them milk. And honey, go feed them and sit them down. And then let's talk to them. He just lavishes hospitality on them. And that's a theme um, in, this, in these few chapters is hospitality. In fact, radical hospitality is a theme throughout Scripture. It's commanded in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Strangers, aliens, take care of them. Take them into your home. Don't let them go hungry, right? You can hear the voice of some mother saying, no one's going to leave this house hungry, right? That sense of hospitality. If a stranger or a surgeoner is walking around, take them into your home. Take them into your home. Um, and Abraham does this in the chapter be- before. The chapter after this, those two, those two same angels uh, leave that place and go to Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and then that's the whole like destruction of Sodom, um, which we're conveniently going to skip over in this series. But I'm going to address it here. Um, <laughs> clear. Um, but what they say, the people in the town, they hear that these two people are staying with Lot, these two angels, uh, the same people who gathered at Abraham's home. 
and uh, gave him the message from God. Uh, they go, go to Lot's home and say, bring out these two men, right? Bring these two men out so we can basically rape them, right? And Lot actually offers up his two daughters. Don't do these to these two men. Actually, take my daughters. But the sense is, is that uh, they say, who is this to Lot? They say, who is this alien, right? Who's among us, who tells us what to do? So if you look, kind of read behind the lines, beat between the lines, you see that it's hospitality, like this kind of undercutting of hospitality and welcoming of the stranger that's at the core of kind of the injustices. If you read Ezekiel 1649, now this was a sin of your sister Sodom. God, the prophet is talking to Jerusalem and saying, you, your sins are kind of like Sodom. And this was a sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. Again, in Isaiah chapter 1, uh, the entire first chapter of Isaiah is this condemnation of Judah. And they're repeatedly compared, Judah's com- repeatedly compared to Sodom and Gomorrah uh, in the way that they're evil. Um, and throughout the chapter, the prophet is, says, the, uh, lists kind of the sins of Jerusalem being like Sodom and Gomorrah, rebelling against God, lacking in knowledge, deserting the Lord, idolatry, engaging in meaningless religious ritual, being unjust and oppressive to others, being insensitive to the needs of widows and orphans, committing murder, accepting bribes. So there's a sense where their wealth and their arrogance and their pride or the hubris has prevented them from loving the people around them, from receiving others into themselves, into their community with hospitality. And this is the Lord's gripe with them, right? I always bless people to be a blessing, right? That's the point. And you have ceased to be a blessing, right? And that, that's like essentially original sin, right? We will be like God and might make ourselves as God. That's Babel. That's the kind of refrain in Babel. We can be as God and like God. So those who are cry out to God are heard. And Abraham, it says, draws near to God. Again, the image of the squirrel. Drawing near, not fearing. Abraham draws near to God. He appeals to what God Uh, what he knows of God's character. He says, God, you're the judge of the world, and I know that you are merciful and loving and compassionate. Because that's another thing that I've experienced and that we've read in the scriptures and throughout Genesis is in spite of creation and fall, the rebellion of humanity, God continues to work and work and work and go above and beyond walk the extra mile to redeem things, to recreate things, 
we mess it up, God's like, oh, let me, let me come up with another way, right? Let me take that on myself and like, let's start fresh, right? Let's do something new. Never will I kill all of humanity with a flood, but I'm going to make a new covenant with you, right? So he, God extends his grace over and over and over again. And Abraham appeals to this God of the covenant. He appeals to God and says, I know who you are. And it doesn't make sense that you're going to go down and destroy these towns. So if 50 are righteous, if there are 50 people who are righteous, will you not save them? And as I said before, maybe this staged intercession is an example to us of the life of faith and prayer. How are we to come to God? How are we to come to God? Abraham appeals to the better nature of God. He takes a spontaneous risk and draws near to God with his pleading and his pleas. Each successive request is a risk and yet there's an appeal. And behind these appeal, this appeal is how much does one small community, uh, how much does one small community of worshipers matter to you, God? How, many, how much does one group of righteous people matter to you? How much does the individual matter to you? In the midst of massive, gross, systemic, oppressive injustice and sin injustice and sin what about the righteous remnant what about the good people the people who love you God how much do they matter and as you are a God of judgment which I know will you overlook these these righteous will you overlook Lot and his family and I think this is a challenge uh, for me, because um, I kind of I kind of wince at this. Is like Abraham can challenge God. Abraham appeals to God's better nature, right? And, and coming from a you know Korean American background, where there's kind of a hierarchy and a respect for elders, El- my father could do no wrong kind of thing. It's like, how can you question God? You know. How can you say, you know, God, change your mind. God, I think you're just overreacting. Why don't you, I know you're compassionate, be your better self, right? You're compassionate, be compassionate. And yet, once again, God is not impatient. God is not frustrated. God does not get angry. God is patient. God listens, right? Abraham even says, what if there's five less, right? And I think God says 40, right? Because they were on 45. So God even did the subtraction in his head, right? Oh, minus five, yeah, even 40. He took each number and said, yes, I will do it. We're reminded of Gideon and Judges, right? Make the dew land on the fleece and not on the grass. Make dew be on the grass and not on the fleece. If you're really going to do this, right, make the dew fly in the air and the fleece like whatever. Do all these things. We, there's a test going on. And yet God is patient. 
and listens and hears because he's a God who hears. He's a God who hears the cries of his people. He's a God who cares, right? He's a God who created the world in the first place, and he's all about creating, amen? He's all about creating and recreating and renewing and renewing and transforming and uplifting the poor and bringing those who are lost to be found again, right? And bringing estranged, making the disconnected connected again. That's what God is all about. And so God wants to do those things. And God wants to invite us to be a part of those things with him. He's like, I like to, I'm not here to throw thunderbolts because I'm a power trip. I want to destroy you, 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 you. Right? That's not what God is about. And they end up at 10. Right? And I don't know. Why 10? Why didn't they go all the way to 1 or 0.5? Right? The answer, the final answer is 10. And perhaps there's three, you know, interpretations I can have for this. Perhaps it's rhetorical. Kind of like when the disciples ask Jesus, how many times should we forgive somebody after they've wronged us? And Jesus says, 70 times 7. Oh, 490 times. Right? So on the 491st time that KC wrongs me, I don't have to forgive him because Jesus said 70 times 7. Right? No, it's rhetorical. It's a lot, basically. So maybe it's like that. 10, we'll go all the way down to 10 with you, Abraham. Meaning, if there are a few righteous people, I care about them. And I won't, like, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Or maybe, perhaps it's more literal, right? 10 as the size of the family, such as lots, right? Maybe that's what's on Abraham's mind and what God knows. is like, oh, Lot's family, 10. I'll save them. You're worried about Lot? I'll save them. And I'll save... uh, I won't destroy these towns on behalf of them. Or, I was reading a lot of kind of Jewish commentary. When I'm uh, preaching on the Old Testament, I'm like... Man, why, did, why go to Christian commentary on the Old Testament? Like, let's go to the, the real folks, right? So go to Jewish rabbis breaking down the text. So 10 is just like the minimum number in order to form a synagogue, right? So if you want a worshiping body in the Jewish context, a synagogue, you have 10 and you can have a synagogue. You can form a synagogue. And this is called the minyan. Uh, and it's the minimum to form a synagogue. So in this sense, I really clung on to this because it's like 10 is the critical mass of worshiping righteous people that God, you know, that God says, oh, in that place, there's a, tr- there's a body, right? There's a body of worshiping people that are righteous, that believe in me and that are praying for the good of this place. And I will, consider, I will consider that. Isn't that awesome? Right? In, our, in our kind of culture, our church culture of, man, are we economically sustainable? What's the bottom line? You know, I always ask my uh, superintendent, what's the minimum size that our church can be so you won't close us? Right? <laughs> like, 
what do you feel like is a church? And he said, David, that's a silly question. Right? It's, the question is about health. Right? Is your church healthy? Right? We are a small worshiping community. Renew. And we are a community that can stand in the gap. Right? Whether we're the 10 righteous or the 30 righteous or the 40 righteous, we stand in the gap as a prophetic beloved community which intercedes on behalf of a nation that is proud, arrogant, and denies resources and compassion to the alien. Today, there are hundreds and thousands of people that are stranded in airports all around the world and in our own country. Some can't go home, some can't come into our country. Even if they, they are students, they have visas, it's legitimate, just because there's a mass, right, rejection of the alien and the foreigner and the outsider. And how we def- as a country define what is other, right? And um, I think as a church, we need to redefine what biblical is, right? What is righteous and faithful? What does those scriptures say about who is righteous and faithful, right? And when I read scripture, it's be hospitable, take care of the widow, the orphan, the poor, the refugee, and my heart like gets fired up, right? When I see uh, the word being skewed, um, to kind of defend, um, I don't know, exclusion. And uh, I didn't think I'd go in this place, but the scripture took me there because <laughs> it was just right there like a volleyball ready to be hit. Um, God hears the cries of injustice. And we, like Abraham, need to approach God and stand in the gap and intercede on behalf of people that we care about uh, intercede on behalf of our neighbors. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word and for the challenge um, to pray uh, and to come to you not afraid, not assuming that we'll be shut down, but to come boldly and to make our requests known and to advocate and to intercede on behalf of other people. Um, We are a small worshiping body. Make us uh, your community um, that would speak for the dead, speak for the lost, speak for those who are marginalized. In your name we pray. Amen.